0: This past Thursday, Pastor Kwesi and his wife and my wife and I, we went to the production of Joseph at Sight and Sound Theaters in Lancaster. Uh, I am undone since then. It was overwhelming. And I preached about being overwhelmed a few weeks ago. Well, this was overwhelming. And Joseph has always been one of my favorites, if I can use that word favorite, stories in the Bible, and I think it's one of the most powerful, moving, compelling stories in the Bible, and of course it has many, many New Testament ramifications, even, of course, foreshadowing Jesus Christ himself. But this play, if you can get up there and see it, it's worth the ride, it's worth the cost, I couldn't put any price tag on it. It was so powerful. It is the best interpretation of the story of Joseph that I have ever seen. And as you may well guess, I'm going to be preaching about Joseph today because I can't get anything else into my head or spirit since Thursday. And. Truth be told, I had written myself a little note about four months ago that whenever we finish the series that we're doing on Wednesday nights, out of bondage into abundance, I wanted to start a series on Joseph. So that will probably be happening. And we're just going to literally touch today on three words from the story. My message centers around three words. And it comes from the very beginning of the whole story. And those three words are rose and stood upright. So the title of my message today is Joseph rose and stood upright. By the way, welcome Jason, Marsha. That's not your daughter. Oh, you've got to be kidding me. Lord have mercy. Whoa. This is Brother Charles's baby, for those of you that have not met Marsha. Huh? What? The young one. You are blessed, Brother Charles. You're blessed. Really blessed. <laughs> he knows it. All right. Without any further ado, let's go to Genesis 37. I want to read from verse 2 to verse 11. Genesis 37, from 2 to 11. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah, his father's wives. And he brought their father a bad report about them. Now Israel loved Joseph more than any of his other sons because he had been born to him in his old age and he made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a kind word to him. Joseph had a dream. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said to them, listen to this dream I had. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly, and here it comes, my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. His brothers said to him, Do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Then he had another dream and he told it to his brothers. Listen, he said, I had another dream. And this time the sun and moon and eleven stars were bowing down to me. When he told his father as well as his brothers, his father rebuked him and said, What is this dream you had? Will your mother and I and your brothers actually come and bow down to the ground before you? His brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept the matter in mind. Seventeen-year-old young man. I've read a lot about The story of Joseph, lots of other people's thoughts and comments about it. And one of the things that I came across the other day that I liked was Joseph was not a good politician. He was a prophet. He wasn't a good politician. A good politician wouldn't have told anybody about these dreams and revelations that God was giving to him. But the telling of them is what got him in trouble. And perhaps in his innocence, he wasn't even thinking about the consequences. He just had these dreams, and they gripped him so much, he had to tell them to everybody around them. I want to fast forward about 40 years to Genesis 50. And I'm going to fill in some blanks, but just stick with me here. Genesis 50 and verse 20, the words of Joseph to his brothers, and if you are familiar with the story, we're going to go over some of these details in a minute, but his brothers who had rejected him, sold him into slavery, caused him to end up in Egypt and brought about a whole series of events. These were Joseph's words to those brothers literally 40 years later. Listen to the words. You intended to harm me, but God intended it for good to accomplish what is now being done, the saving of many lives. That is one of the most profound revelations that anyone in the Bible ever received and spoke out. It is so profound, I don't even claim to be able to speak about it, and I'm not even sure I fully understand it. But I'll try. After everything Joseph had gone through, he had the, the ability And he had the vision to see beyond people, places, things, prison bars. He he saw beyond all of that and he saw God. He saw God's intent for his life. The word that's translated here, intended, King James uses the word meant. You meant evil. God meant good. It's a fascinating word. Hebrew is far more colorful and complex than the English language, so sometimes one word may mean 50 English words. The word that's used here actually comes from the Hebrew word for to weave. Like if you're weaving... um a garment or weaving branches together, it literally means to weave. And we sometimes even use that term in this sense, like if an author is writing a play or a book, he's weaving all the different plots and characters of the story together. It, it of course means to intend, to plan, We would use in English the word connive to bring a whole bunch of different pieces together to form a complex plan or a plot. Plot is another one of the words that is derived from this word. You plotted to harm me, but God plotted for good. And... If you're familiar with something like a Shakespeare play, which I hated in high school, but we were supposed to pretend like we liked them if you wanted to pass English. But you know, you got all these complex plots and subplots, and of course you run down to the store and buy those little yellow cliff notes back in my day to try to understand what the heck Shakespeare wanted you to get from this play, but it was very complex. But I want to tell you today, the story of Joseph is way beyond any Shakespeare play when it comes to complexity, the plots, the subplots, all of the complex characters that come together to form this story. And the story of Joseph, as complex as it is, is just a tiny little slice of a far more complex story of Israel's whole history. And that is just a slice of a far more complex and greater story, the story of salvation. How the Messiah would eventually come forth from the nation of Israel, from the descendants of Jacob or Israel, and you look at this big picture, and it's like, wow, God weaved all of these different characters, places, events together to form one story. And the revelation that Joseph received here, you intended one thing, God intended something else. If you and I can capture that, our whole life will be transformed. People have their plans, people do their stuff. Some of them have good intentions. Some of them have real bad intentions. But i got really great news for all of you today. It really doesn't matter. What matters is what God intends for your life and mine. That's all that matters. That's all that matters. And by the way, the same Hebrew word here is the word that's used in one of our favorite verses, Jeremiah 29.11. I know the thoughts. Same word. The plans, the plots, the the connivings, the weavings that I think toward you. Next time you read through the story of Joseph, just try to trace God's hand weaving this whole thing together. It's incredible. No accidents. No coincidences. It was all planned by God. Just the way it happened. And if you've been following with us on Wednesday nights, the story actually doesn't even begin in Genesis 37. You can go all the way back to Genesis 15, when God first reveals to Abraham, Abraham, your descendants are going to go into a foreign land. Didn't give him the name of the land, but we know now what it is. It's Egypt. And they will be slaves there for 400 years. Guess what? How's Israel going to get from Canaan down to Egypt? Joseph. Joseph is the key to the fulfillment of that prophecy that God gave to Abraham. And all that has to happen first before they can go into the promised land in the days of Joshua. So there's a huge picture here and Joseph is just one little tiny part of it. And way back in Abraham's day, God starts to reveal bits and pieces of the plan to God, to God's children, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Now, God knows the end from the beginning. That's why he can plot and plan and have all this stuff work together for good. And by the way, if you want a nice New Testament verse to go along with Genesis 50:20, it's Romans 8:28. God makes all things work together for bad, right? For bad? For good. And that's usually where the quotation stops in the plaques that people put up on their walls, but that's not the whole verse. All things work together for good to those who love God, love God and are called according to His purpose, His intent, His plan. So if you are called according to God's purpose and you have surrendered to that purpose, my friend, everything that's going on in your life is working together for good. God says, I know the plans that I have for you. I love it in the Spanish Bible. "Yo sé muy bien. I know real well the plans I have for you. Plans to bless you, prosper you, give you a future, a hope, and a good end. And that is surely what happened in Joseph's case. But I'm getting ahead of the story. Back to the dream. The first dream was Joseph's sheaf rose and stood upright in the play, it was done fantastically. It's the opening scene of the play. And they actually have human characters dressed up as sheaves. And they're all bowing down to Joseph as his sheaf rises up above all the other ones. Let me say something right here about dreams. And when I say dream, I'm talking about revelations that God writes upon our heart, things that He just puts inside of you that you know that you know that you know, God has shown you something about your future. Aren't you glad He does that? We're not just wandering around, oh, I don't know what I'm doing here. I hope God has some kind of a plan for me. No, you seek God. He will reveal to you a plan. He's got a plan for your life. Well, here's the bad news, if I can be the bearer of a little bit of bad news. He usually only shows you the good stuff in the early dreams. If you study these two dreams, the only thing God showed Joseph was the good part. His sheaf standing upright, all the other sheaves bowing to him. The sun, the moon, the stars bowing down to him. Wow, this is good, man. I'm going to be king. I'm going to be lord. These brothers of mine are going to bow down at my feet. No, that wasn't quite the whole picture. The dream didn't say anything about being betrayed, hated, sold into slavery, going to Egypt, being falsely accused, going to prison. The, The dream didn't talk about all that. When the prophet Samuel first anointed little David, the least in the family. I don't know what David thought about that whole day. Just oil dripping down his head and somebody says, by the way, you're going to be the next king of Israel. Cool. (laughs) Okay, let's do it. The prophet didn't tell him that day, you're going to be hated and hunted by Saul for years. You'll be living in caves. You'll have javelins flying by your head. But you'll learn about that later on. And God will often give you a little glimpse early on of the great things He's going to do for you. And He will do them. Don't worry about the prisons, the people hating you, and all the other negative stuff. Because it's going to happen. It's going to happen. Jacob's family, this is something that really moved me in the Production that we saw the other day, even though it was about Joseph, I found myself focusing a lot on Jacob. This man, he went through a lot in his life. And I think he's a good example for all of us of what Galatians 6 7 says you reap what you sow. He deceived his brother, stole his birthright, stole his blessing that came back to haunt him and what he had sown he ended up reaping in the house of his uncle Laban. His uncle deceived him and cheated him 10 times. Even deceived him in the wife that he gave him on his wedding night. And that is a very important part of Joseph's story. He loved Rachel, but Laban first gave him Leah. Her older sister, because the older sister was to marry first. And you know the whole thing about how he had to work seven more years to get Rachel. And now the guy's got two wives. And in the end, he's got four. And what I was really looking at, not only in the play the other day, but as I went back and read the whole story again, Jacob's family was so dysfunctional. This family was so messed up. And sometimes the devil whispers to us, your family's messed up. You're not going to be able to do anything for the Lord. You don't have a perfect family like so-and-so. And And by the way, so-and-so's family may look perfect, it isn't. Oh, that's another sermon. That's another sermon. Some of us, we go around, we want everybody to believe, Oh, our kids are all like little ducks in a row. We just have a perfect family. We're like one of these families on TV, you know. But then even the TV families, we find out who they really are, and they're taken off the air. Because they're real families like yours and mine. Messed up. Jacob's family was so dysfunctional. And I want you to pay close attention to this, because this is a powerful message from God to all of us. He chose Jacob. His name was changed to Israel. If I were God, thank God I'm not, but if I were God and I was forming a nation to be my people, and out of that nation, I'm going to bring forth the Savior of the world. I don't want a family with all this baggage. And I just made a quick summary here of some of the stuff that was going on in Jacob's family leading up to where we are now in Genesis 37. I'm going to do, do this very quickly. Of course, there's Jacob's rivalry with his own brother, Esau. Esau wanted to kill him. Wanted to kill him because of the way he cheated him. As I mentioned, Jacob ended up being tricked and deceived by Laban. He ends up married to two sisters, Leah and Rachel. Ultimately, he's got 12 kids by four different mothers, and all the mothers are having rivalries between them competing for Jacob's love and affection. Jacob's daughter, Dinah, is raped by a Hivite and Simeon and Levi go out and slaughter the whole city in revenge. This is real stuff, folks. This really happened. This is all Jacob's family. Messed up family. Reuben, his firstborn. You know, the firstborn. Supposed to really be your best. Reuben goes and lies with one of Jacob's wives. And he lost his, his right as the firstborn because of that adulterous act. Judah left home, and if you're following us on Wednesday nights, you're going to understand these Hivites, Canaanites, and all this stuff. These are enemy Gentile nations that Israel was forbidden to have any contact with, no marriages with them, nothing. What does Judah do? Well, Judah decides, I'm going to leave home. (laughs) Hmm. Anybody ever heard that one? The kids get to a certain age. I've got to get out of this house. I've got to try my wings. He goes out of the house, goes down and marries a Canaanite woman. Judah, the progenitor of Jesus Christ, the lion of the tribe of Judah. Judah goes and marries a Canaanite woman. They have three kids. Two of them are so wicked, the Bible says the Lord killed them. Are you kidding me? The Lord killed them. It gets worse. Jacob, I'm sorry, Judah, ends up getting his daughter-in-law pregnant thinking that she's a prostitute. This is in the Bible. This isn't a soap opera. It's in the Bible. Gets his daughter-in-law pregnant. And then as we got a little bit of an intimation in the verses we just read, Jacob only had two sons of his beloved Rachel, Joseph and Benjamin. And it was no secret in the family that they were his favorites. And I would even go a step further. We just read in the opening verses there that Joseph would bring back a bad report to his dad about what the other brothers were doing. We don't know what they were doing, but I don't think they were walking with the Lord very well. So Joseph was coming home and said, Dad, (laughs) you got to see what Reuben's doing. Have you heard what Judah's doing? you got to see what these guys are up to, Dad. Bringing back bad reports about his brothers. I personally think Jacob had come to a place in his heart where as far as he was concerned, he had two sons. The rest were like lost causes. And he was not even trying to hide his favoritism. Here's Joseph strutting around in his coat of many colors, an ornate robe. It was a symbol of Papa's favoritism. And all the other brothers hated him because of it. So you've got jealousy. Hatred, sibling rivalry. You've got rivalry between the four mothers. What a mess this family is. And God says, perfect. This is a perfect family for me to work with. And this is a powerful message you and I need to get. God works with what He's got. We're what He's got, and we're messed up. Hello? We're messed up. And that doesn't seem to bother God as much as it bothers us sometimes. Oh, I gotta at least pretend like I'm perfect. Because, I mean, I'm a pastor. Pastors are supposed to be perfect, right? No. Where does it say that in the rule book? We're human. The Holy Spirit is in us. Hopefully we listen to the Holy Spirit. We move with the Holy Spirit, but we're human. And this is where so much hypocrisy and so many burned out, fallen pastors come from because they're trying to live some kind of a life that isn't real. These are real people. They're messed up. But you know what? It gives me great hope. Gives me great hope. Lord, there's hope for the Pratt family. As messed up as it may be, there's hope because you ain't done yet. Amen. God wasn't done yet. He had some work to do. And poor Jacob. I think after all of his connivings, all of his deceivings, and so many things going on in his family, there are a couple of scenes in the play that I think really captured that pain and that sorrow and that regret. And it's, it's in the Bible as well. Um, when his... Brother, when his sons have come back from Egypt the second time, saying, we've got to take Benjamin with us or we can't get any more food. And his his words, I think you can feel his pain. He says, all these things are against me. That kind of sums up the place that Jacob finally came to. He's lost Joseph as far as he knows. He's about to lose Benjamin, he thinks. Simeon is being held a prisoner in an Egyptian jail. And he says, all these things are against me. This a sad, sad story. And don't forget, whenever you see Jacob, sometimes it helps me change it to Israel. Because yeah. that's his new name, Jacob Israel. It's used interchangeably. But if you, if you stop and think, Israel? My God, this is Israel's family. All right, back to Joseph's dreams. As I mentioned, God only showed him the good stuff, not the bad. But man, there was a whole lot of bad that had to take place before the good could come. Continuing a little further down in Genesis 37... To save time, um, I'm going to start at verse 17. By the way, your homework this week is to read Genesis 37 to 50. If you can, do it at one sitting. And if you're not weeping at the end, there's something wrong with you. (laughs) But the brothers are out in the field somewhere, grazing, working. Joseph's at home with dad. And Dad sends him out to check up on the brothers. And so he's gone in search of them, finds out they've moved on to a place called Dothan, and as he's approaching them, from a distance, the brothers see him. And he's told that they've moved from here and they've gone on to another place. Let's pick it up at verse 17. So Joseph went after his brothers and found them near Dothan, but they saw him in the distance... And before he reached them, they plotted to kill him. This hatred has been festering for a long time. But it's come full blown now. They want to kill him. And I want you to follow very carefully the next two verses. Here comes that dreamer. They said to each other, Come now, let's kill him and throw him into one of these cisterns, and say that a ferocious animal devoured him, then we'll see what comes of his dreams. You know, as I was meditating on this over the weekend, I was just being flooded with thoughts, but one of the thoughts that came to me was, what did they hate more, Joseph or the dreams? They hate both. And I wrote this down. I'd never really thought about it this way before, but they wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams. They wanted to kill Joseph and his dreams. Let's see what comes of these dreams. If he's dead, we don't have to worry about the dream. So let's kill him. By the way, for those of you that are real serious Bible students, There's there's amazing patterns and things in this story that only an author far superior to Shakespeare could come up with. And remember, God's the author of this one. Joseph has two dreams. When he's in prison, he interprets two dreams. And because he can interpret dreams, that's what gets him out of prison so he can interpret two more dreams for Pharaoh. Two, two, two. Let's kill him and then we'll see what comes of his dreams. I'm going to tell you this from experience and also from the Bible. When God's favor comes upon your life and you know he has a plan for your life and it may not be a literal dream but you know God has put something in you. It's a dream, it's a vision about what he wants to do. And very often he shows it in the beginning when you're a little 17-year-old punk. You don't, even know, you don't even know what you're doing yet. But He starts to show you what He's not planned for you maybe 40 years from now. When God's favor comes on your life and God's purpose begins to come alive inside of you, there will be people around you who are jealous of you, who will try to maybe not physically kill you, They will malign you, they will slander you, and they will try to kill your dream. But I got real good news for you. If the dream came from God, they can't kill it. And if God has a plan for your life, they can't kill you either. (laughs) I had a man of God who knew nothing about me about five years ago in Ohio prophesied to me in a public meeting. He went on for about 15 minutes, and I knew every word that was coming out of his mouth was right. No way he could know it. He said, the sentence of death was upon your ministry. The sentence of death. But you're not going to die. People will try to kill you with words. They'll try to kill your dream. They'll try to discourage you. And if you check it out carefully... Very often, somewhere at the root of it is jealousy. And let me me just help all of us here. There's absolutely no reason for any child of God to be jealous of anyone else. That's all wrong. We should rejoice in one another's ministries, gifts, if God's favor comes upon somebody, we should rejoice in that. If you're threatened by somebody else, you better go to God and find out why. There's some insecurity. There's something lacking in your connection with God. Because when you know who you are in Christ, man, you're not threatened by anybody. They were jealous. Let's kill him. Let's kill his Dreams. Joseph rose and stood upright. Those are the three words I want to spend the rest of our time on. He rose and he stood upright. And those three words just jumped off the stage into my heart on Thursday. And it's just been in me ever since. Rose stood upright. Rose stood upright. And by no coincidence, that's the opening scene, is Joseph rising up and all the other sheaves bowing down. But we got to be careful with understanding those three words. A lot of people misinterpret what those words mean, and they get in a lot of trouble. Joseph rose. He didn't rise on his own. He didn't exalt himself. He didn't promote himself. Matter of fact, everybody around him was trying to squash him. Even his father was rebuking him for his dreams. Brothers were hating him. He had no one around him supporting him, and he wasn't trying to advance his cause. He never did anything. He couldn't do anything to promote himself. All of Joseph's promotions came from the Lord. A lot of you didn't hear that. Joseph's promotions came from the Lord. Look to the Lord for your promotions in life. Don't promote yourself. In Psalm 75, I want, if you can, to put this up in King James. Psalm 75, verses 5 to 7. Lift not up your horn on high, Speak not with a stiff neck. For promotion cometh neither from the east, nor from the west, nor from the south. But God is the judge. He puts down one and sets up another. The story of Joseph's life was he kept rising And rising and rising, and there's only one reason why. God was raising him up. God was promoting him. And again, it's because of God's intent, because of God's plan. If you and I get plugged into God's plan, He's going to move us to the place we're supposed to be to bring that plan to fruition. We don't need to do anything. We don't need to promote ourselves, exalt ourselves, and do like the world does, step on a few people as we're climbing the ladder of success. That's all wrong. And sad to say, I've even seen many pastors fall into that trap where they think, oh, i got to promote myself, so i got to put down everyone else around me. And they end up in destruction. I want to look at three very quick examples of how God promoted Joseph. And you wouldn't really be looking for a promotion right after your brothers have hated you, betrayed you, sold you as a slave, and you end up in a foreign country, Egypt. But that's where his first promotion begins. Genesis 39, from verse 1 to 5. We can go back to NIV also. Thank you, Desiree. Now Joseph had been taken down to Egypt. Potiphar An Egyptian who was one of Pharaoh's officials, the captain of the guard, bought him. I mean, stop here for a minute. Can you imagine? You've just been bought by someone? They own you, you're their property. Bought him from the Ishmaelites who had taken him there. He's a slave. Oh, I'm a slave in Egypt. God's left me. All those dreams are dead. I'm finished. The Lord was with Joseph. Oh, hallelujah. Boy, I could go on that one. Oh, boy. If the Lord is with you, my friend, nothing else matters. If the Lord is with you, nothing else matters. I don't care what people say, what they write about you in the papers or on the internet. It doesn't matter if the Lord is with you. The Lord was with Joseph and he prospered. And he lived in the house of his Egyptian master. He is still a slave though. When his master saw, say that with me, when his master saw, say it again, when his master saw, is his master a Christian? Is his master a Hebrew? Does his master know anything about God or God's grace or God's plan? Nothing, zip. He saw something though. What did he see? The master saw that the Lord was with him. Apparently, you don't have to be saved. You don't have to know God to be able to recognize when He's with someone else. The Master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord gave him success in everything he did. My God. Joseph found favor in the eyes of in his eyes and became his attendant, Potiphar put him in charge. Say those words with me. Put him in charge. starting to get promoted. Put him in charge of his household and he entrusted to his care everything he owned. Man, this is happening real fast. From the time he put him in charge of his household... And of all that he owned, the Lord blessed the household of the Egyptian because of Joseph. The blessing of the Lord was on everything Potiphar had, both in the house and in the field. You may think when you get up and go to work every day, oh, i just got to go do my job. My boss, he's not even a Christian. Nobody around me is a Christian. Doesn't matter. You go there with the Lord. You go there with God's favor on your life. Something's going to happen to that business. They're going to start looking at the accounts and saying, you know, since since Mr. Quacey started working here, our profits have doubled. I don't know what's going on, but he's brought some kind of magic to the business. They may call it what they want, but they'll start promoting it because God's grace, God's wisdom, God's favor is on his life. Don't think it's only here in church that you're supposed to be a testimony or the Lord is supposed to be with you. Take the Lord with you tomorrow morning. Let them see that he's with you the way Potiphar saw the Lord was with this young man. Unbelievers can see when God is on your life. Second promotion, a little later on. It's getting worse for Joseph. He's now gone from being a slave to being a prisoner because Potiphar's wife has falsely accused him. More about that in a minute. But it lands him in prison. Oh no, now I'm in jail in Egypt. God can't possibly use me here. Surely those dreams are all dead. Genesis 39 from verse 20 to 23. Joseph's master took him and put him in prison. The place where the king's prisoners were confined. But while Joseph was there in prison, (laughs) but while Joseph was there in prison, the Lord was with him. Seems like the Lord is following this dude. Wherever he goes, the Lord goes. The Lord was with him. He showed him kindness and granted him favor in the eyes of the prison warden. Huh. So the warden put Joseph in charge of all. Say that with me. In charge of all. No, he's in charge of the prison put Joseph in charge of all those held in the prison, and he was made responsible for all that was done there. This is crazy. The warden paid no attention to anything under Joseph's care because the Lord was with Joseph and gave him success in whatever he did. doesn't matter where this guy goes. He gets promoted. Now comes the best one. While he's there in prison, remember, It's learned by Pharaoh that this Hebrew can interpret dreams. Pharaoh has just had two dreams, and no one in all of his courts can interpret them. So it is learned that there's a Hebrew slave that has this gift of interpreting dreams. So Joseph is called out. He explains the dreams to Pharaoh. And we move now to Genesis 41. And for the sake of time, I'm going to skip over a lot of it. But uh, let's go to verse 37. Genesis 41, 37. Joseph has explained the dreams to Pharaoh. Seven years of abundance followed by seven years of famine. You need to find a wise and a discerning man who you can put in charge of this whole project. Start collecting Quantities of grain now, store them up so they can get you through the seven years of famine. And after Pharaoh hears all of this, here's his response. The plan seemed good to Pharaoh and to all his officials. So Pharaoh asked them, is Pharaoh a Christian? Is he a Hebrew? Does he know anything about the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob? Okay, just wanted to make sure you're with me here. Pharaoh asked them, Can we find anyone like this man, one in whom is the Spirit of God? Man, you get filled with the Holy Spirit before you go to work tomorrow. I don't care who your boss is. They're going to look at you like, What happened to her? Something different. They knew something was different about this guy. In whom is the Spirit of God? Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, Since the gods of Egypt... What does it say? Since God, your God, has made all this known to you, there is no one so discerning and wise as you. Ten minutes earlier, this guy was a prisoner in the dungeon. Now Pharaoh is praising him. It gets better though. You shall be in charge of my palace... And all my people are to submit to your orders. Only with respect to the throne will I be greater than you. (laughs) So Pharaoh said to Joseph, I hereby put you In in charge. Where have I heard that? In charge of Potiphar's house. In charge of the prison. Now he's in charge of Egypt. In charge of the whole land of Egypt. Pharaoh took his signet ring from his finger, put it on Joseph's finger. He dressed him in robes of fine linen and put a gold chain around his neck. He had him ride in a chariot as his second in command. And men shouted before him, Make way! Thus he put him in charge of the whole land of Egypt. Then Pharaoh said to Joseph, I am Pharaoh, but without your word... No one will lift hand or foot in all Egypt. You can't make this stuff up. Shakespeare could never have invented a story like this. Mm. Keep going. Pharaoh gave Joseph the name Zaphonath and gave him Asenath, daughter of Potipharah, priest of On, to be his wife. Joseph went throughout the land of Egypt. And we'll end with verse 46. Joseph was 30 years, 13 years it took of going from being a slave to second in command of the most powerful nation on the face of the earth. 30 years old when he entered the service of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, Joseph went out from Pharaoh's presence and traveled throughout Egypt. Let me tell you something, folks. There's nothing too hard for the Lord. Stop limiting Him. Stop listening to what maybe people have told you. Well, you know, you can't do that because you need three PhDs and you need to have done this and done this. But God's put a dream in my heart. Then you better follow what God has told you. Stop listening to the naysayers. Thirteen years, He's second in command of Egypt. What an amazing story. Now let's go to the second part. He rose, not on his own. God raised him up. God promoted him. And then he stood upright. His brothers interpreted that to mean, oh, so you're going to lord it over us, huh? And that's the way a lot of people mistake this. Oh, boy. God's going to raise me up and then I can boss people around. (laughs) I was a part of an organization, ministry organization for a number of years where they had a pretty distinct hierarchy of power. You were either a worker, an elder, or a pastor. And everybody knew what caste they belonged to. And it was sometimes hilarious. And they would even come up and ask you, basically, what, what caste are you from? Are you a worker, an elder, or a pastor? And it's funny because I was a nobody. I, didn't, I, I don't know what I was, maybe a worker. And I was sent to India to preach in these huge conventions with 40,000, 50,000 people. And... These guys that are there, they're all stuck in this mindset of worker, elder, pastor. And they see me preaching and they see the word of the Lord coming forth. And then they're scratching their heads and coming to me. And I would say, brother. brother. <laughs> I said, Let God do the rest. We don't need to promote ourselves. Joseph got promoted, but it wasn't to stand upright in arrogance with a stiff neck and order everybody else around. Here's what I think it means. And I think the the play captured this uh, interpretation of Joseph very beautifully. It wasn't so much standing the Lord over other people as standing upright. Emphasis on the upright. Standing upright upright standing in character standing in integrity standing always for what was right in his life not as easily done as said Joseph was wronged repeatedly but he kept standing for what was right a lot of times when we're wronged the temptation is well They did me wrong. I'm going to return the favor. (laughs) I'm going to get even. And somehow we think that now gives us a legitimate right because somebody wronged me. I'm going to wrong them back. You cut me off on the road, (laughs) I'll meet you at the next bend. (laughs) No. Joseph stood upright. And for me, one of the most powerful parts of his whole story comes in Genesis 39, and we skipped over this earlier, but now we return. His temptation with Potiphar's wife. Genesis 39, from verse 6 to 12. So he left in Joseph's care everything he had. With Joseph in charge, he did not concern himself with anything except the food he ate. Now Joseph was well built and handsome. Man! This guy's got everything going for him. The Lord's with him. Everything he touches turns to gold, and he's good looking. After a while, his master's wife took notice of Joseph. This woman is brazen. She doesn't play around here. Come to bed with me. But he refused. With me in charge, he told her, my master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Notice his first thought is not me, myself, and I, it's my master. He's thinking about his master. My master does not concern himself with anything in the house. Everything he owns, he has entrusted to my care. No one is greater in this house than I am. Stop there for a minute. I could preach a sermon on each one of these sentences. (laughs) We often think, well, no one's greater in this house than I am. That gives me license to do even what a lot of other people in the house can't do. We got a lot of folks a few blocks down the road in Washington, DC, that think that now. I got elected to the Senate or the Congress, I'm in the court or on this or that. It gives me license. I'm above the law. No. No one is greater in this house than I am. That was true. My master has withheld nothing from me except you because you are his wife. How then could I do such a wicked thing and sin against God? Now it seems from what we're told in the Bible, this was a perfect setup. No one would ever know it'd be Joseph and Mrs. Potiphar's little secret. And all he had to do was comply, and it's going to keep him out of prison. And Potiphar probably doesn't even care. He doesn't know anything that's going on. So, you know, it could easily be done with no consequences, except for that last little part. How can I do this and sin against God? You see, God's eyes are in the bedroom. God's eyes are on the computer. God's eyes are in the dark. He sees. And Joseph had that revelation of God. God sees me. My life is being lived before God. That's who I care about. I can't do this. And sin against God. Next verse. And though she spoke to Joseph day after day, say that with me, day after day. This wasn't a one-time thing. Day after day. But he refused to go to bed with her or even to be with her. You know, full-blown affairs don't happen overnight. They take some time. A little conversation in the coffee room at the office. A little email here, a little text there. and Oh, you look nice today. Hmm, Let's have coffee tomorrow. Coffee leads to lunch, and lunch leads to dinner, and dinner leads to something else. No, he refused to be with her because he understood again from his God Stay away from this thing. It's going to kill your dream and it's going to destroy you. One day he went into the house to attend to his duties and none of the household servants was inside. Perfect. Perfect. She caught him by his cloak and said, Come to bed with me. But he left his cloak in her hand and ran out of the house. What is this about Joseph's coat, man? It keeps getting him in trouble. The coat was used to deceive the father about his supposed death, and now Potiphar's wife is going to use that coat to lie to her husband and all the rest in the court. Look what he did! In my opinion, and this is just my opinion, what Joseph did here is a far greater victory than David slaying Goliath. It's a far greater victory than the three Hebrew boys going into the fiery furnace. He stood. God, help us to stand. Help us to stand in temptation. Help us to have iron in our soul that we will not compromise. We will not go the way of the world. Oh, come on, man. Everybody else is doing it. I don't care. I can't sin against my God. He was determined to stand upright. We're almost finished. I want you to notice every time Joseph stood for what was right, it got him in trouble. Don't think standing for what's right is going to keep you out of trouble. It might put you into it. But I'd rather be in that kind of trouble than the trouble I used to get into. I'd rather be in jail for preaching the gospel than in there for some other drunken, crazy night out on the town. More importantly, Joseph stood upright in all of his dealings with his family. And that's easy for me to say, but we're talking about years of life. In that one sentence. Brothers who hated him. Brothers who mocked him. We read earlier they couldn't say one kind word to him. Always cracking jokes about him. Cutting him down. Laughing at his dreams. Hating him and even wanting to kill him. Can you imagine a 17 year old boy in Egypt going to bed at night and you remember your 11 brothers and the anger and the hatred on their faces as they threw you into that cistern? The the bitterness, the hatred, the feelings of revenge that would likely keep growing inside of him as time progressed, but we find just the opposite. He stood upright in all of his dealings with those brothers. And we have no time today to look at all of the incidents, but you'll do it in your homework. When the brothers finally come down to Egypt and... He sees his brothers rather than some kind of anger and revenge and hatred rising up with him. How can I get even with these guys? He's running behind the curtains to hide his tears. And yes, not once, not twice, I counted at least five different times those brothers would eventually come and bow down before Joseph fulfilling the dream. But He wasn't there, ha, about time you all bow down. While you're down there, you can polish my shoes. No, that wasn't his attitude. I want to finish with this one. Genesis 45. This is the second trip that the brothers have made. They've brought Benjamin with them. They're having dinner, (laughs) or lunch I guess it was, in Joseph's house. And he reveals to them who he is. Genesis 45 from verse 1. Then Joseph could no longer control his anger. Is that what it says? Could no longer control himself before all his attendants. And he cried out, have everyone leave my presence. So there was no one with Joseph when he made himself known to his brothers. He wept so loudly that the Egyptians heard him and Pharaoh's household. Joseph said Joseph said to his brothers (laughs) I am Joseph. I can't imagine that. I am Joseph. Is my father still living? Now Just to help you get the context here, if you do the math, about 22 years have passed since they last saw Joseph. And you know, we are told in modern culture that time heals. No, it doesn't. You're going to find when you read the whole story, these 11 brothers, after 22 years, they still needed healing. And Joseph knew that. They needed healing. They're still full of guilt. They're still carrying this weight around. After 22 years, it's still bugging them. And to hear those words, I am Joseph. I can't imagine what was racing through their minds. Is my father still living? But his brothers were not able to answer him. Because they were terrified at His presence. Isn't it amazing how the tables sometimes turn? Oh, how God has changed this whole thing around now. They're terrified. Then Joseph said to his brothers, Come close to me and I'm going to give each one of you a good one. Right? No. Come close to me. When they had done so, he said... I am second in command of Egypt. I'm your Lord now. No, I'm your brother. I am your brother, Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, do not be distressed and do not be angry with yourself. Oh, are you kidding me? He's worried about their feelings? Don't be distressed. Don't be angry with yourselves for selling me here. And this is it. Because it was to save lives that... Help me. That that God... That God sent me... Whoa. You don't read that in Genesis 37. Or 39. Doesn't say God sent him there. Says what the brothers did to him. But Joseph has some kind of an incredible revelation about his life and about his God. And God helped us to get that revelation. God was in charge of his life. If he goes to Egypt, it's because God sent him there, not his brothers. It was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. Keep going. For two years now there has been famine in the land, and for the next five years there will not be plowing and reaping. This guy really believed his dream and Pharaoh's dream. (laughs) He knew how these things were going to work out. But God sent me. Who? Who sent him? God sent me ahead of you to preserve for you a remnant on earth and to save your lives by a great deliverance. Oh my God. I can't even handle that one. God sent me here to save your lives. Mm -hmm. Verse 8 So then it was not you who sent me here It was not you who sent me here, but God. My friends, you got some more homework to do this week. If there's anything about your past that troubles you, sit down with the Lord this week and revisit it and understand God allowed it for some reason. Stop blaming people, circumstances, and situations. God sent you there for a reason. And He's not done yet. It was not you who sent me here, but God. He made me father to Pharaoh, Lord of his entire household and ruler of all Egypt. My God, my God, what a story. But it's, as I mentioned earlier, just a little sliver of a much bigger story about Israel and a bigger story still about One who would come to save those who hated Him. Those who rejected Him. Those who wanted to destroy Him and His dream. His name is Jesus Christ. That's the greatest story ever told. Joseph is just a little foreshadowing of what would come. And my wife pointed out to me yesterday, I never thought about it, but you know, by no coincidence, it was... Mary and Joseph who had baby Jesus. It was Joseph of Arimathea who put him into his tomb. That's free. We're not going to charge for that one, but you can chew on that one this week too. May God Help us to see His hand in the affairs of our life. And if you haven't already done it, I wouldn't waste another minute. Surrender your life to His purpose and to His plan. God says, I know the plans I have for you. Have you discovered them? Have you sought Him to find out what they are? Are you in them now? Because if you're moving in God's plan, heaven and earth cannot stop His plan from coming to pass in your life. By the way, before we close, Brenda, I know we've had this little discussion before. You were a dreamer of us, weren't you? You told me that. Now, lots of to are being dreamer of you perfectly healthy, jumping, playing volleyball, uh, tennis, running up and down the stairs in your apartment. What floor are you guys on? Oh, yeah. Four, that's nothing. We'll find one the more floors. <laughs> I'm serious. Dream Gods plan for your life. The devil wants to fill up with nightmares. God wants to fill us with His dream. He wants us healed. He wants us healthy. He wants us full of the Holy Spirit. He wants us to make a difference in the world in these last days. He's made us the head and not the tail. We are more than conquerors through Jesus Christ. He will never leave us nor forsake us. God will be with us in the prison. He'll be with us when everybody else has turned against us. He will not leave us so that we can boldly say, The Lord is my helper. Please stand. Joseph rose and Joseph stood upright may God promote us raise us position us where he wants us to accomplish his purpose and may we stand upright I don't care what modern culture says everybody thinks you can lie she get away with murder, but character matters with God. Amen. Integrity matters with God. Standing for what is right matters for the kingdom of God. Father, in the name of Jesus, we thank You for this most inspiring character, Joseph. It's not just a story. He's a real man. And these things we learn about him really happened. And God, it, it encourages us That even in our situations, we may not have a calling like Joseph upon our lives. Nevertheless, you've told each one of us, you have plans for us. You've given every one of us a dream of where you want to take us, what you want to do with us. And some people have tried to squash that they've even tried to kill that dream but God you are the one who raises the dead I'm praying today that you resurrect those dreams you resurrect those visions that you've placed in our hearts and let us know that you're not done yet it ain't over till it's over and you are the one who will write the final act of the play just as you did for Joseph's life God I thank you and I praise you that your word is true every word you've ever spoken to us will come to pass you You sent it with purpose, and it will not return to you void. God, I pray for each and every one here today. Strengthen their faith. Whatever situation they're in, wherever they're at in this journey right now, even if it's in a prison of sorts, let them know that You are with them. You're favoring them. You're about to give them a promotion. And Lord, as we keep our eyes fixed on You, as we humble ourselves, You, and lift us up. God, I thank You and I praise You for Your Word. Keep speaking to us. Keep revealing Yourself to us. And like Joseph, help us after it's all over to be able to look back and say, You wanted to do this. You meant that. You intended this. But God sent me here. God intended all of this for my good. Lord, I thank You and I praise You that we can serve You, that we can walk with You, that we can in some small way represent the Lord Jesus Christ, the greatest of all betrayed brothers, the One who came to His own and His own rejected Him, despised Him and nailed Him to a cross. But God, You raised Him from the dead so that we might be saved and delivered and enabled now to follow Him. God, we want to follow Jesus to the very end. Help us. Keep us faithful. Keep us standing upright to the very end. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. 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 God bless you all. Praise the Lord.